taught us to pray, he began with petitions that ask our way into his work in the entire world, in the entire universe. We pray that his name be hallowed, his kingdom come, his will be done. And then our Lord told us to go on to talk about very, very personal needs, uh, returning again as Luther does to the, to the me or to the our. In the first of the last four petitions, he even turns our attention to very physical, very mundane and ordinary needs. Is Luther's interpretation of this petition the, the standard uh, way of understanding the petition, uh, let's say in, in his own background in the Middle Ages? No, it isn't. I think that uh, we don't sufficiently appreciate, for example, the revolutionary character of his interpretation. Uh, we have grown up understanding that he bread, bread is referring to the stuff of, every, of everyday life. Mm -hmm. uh, but in Luther's day, prior to the catechisms, I do not think that was the norm. In fact, very often, uh, daily bread was interpreted in more spiritualistic terms. Uh, this is partly perhaps due to a worldview that saw the spiritual superior to the physical, uh, coming especially out of a, a Neoplatonic dualism, you might say. Uh, as a result, the petition, Give Us This Day Our Daily Bread, was interpreted in two or three different ways. One, it might mean the daily bread refers to Jesus Christ himself, the bread of life. Uh, so give us this day our daily bread, uh, give us... Our Lord Jesus Christ. Uh, secondly, uh, daily bread could refer to the Word of God uh, as, again, our food for life, the uh, food that nourishes us. Uh, thirdly, uh, on occasion, daily bread might even refer to the Lord's Supper, mm -hmm. um, the uh, body, the bread and body uh, that is given to us. Now, there we might wonder why or how it could be interpreted daily bread uh, that might apply especially, I suppose, to life in the monastery more than perhaps in the uh, rural um, parish. Uh, but those are the interpretations that Luther inherited. And in his early career, and he continued uh, that practice. He would interpret uh, daily bread in the early 1520s with reference to uh, the word of God or Jesus Christ himself as well. But it's kind of intriguing that by 1528-1529, uh, daily bread has come to mean for him just what it says, bread, uh, the nourishment of everyday life. Uh, you might say all of the uh, creaturely gifts that are provided in the first article. Uh, in fact, the list that he provides us with in the small catechism pretty much repeats what is found in the first article of the creed, and if anything, uh, it's a bit of an expansion uh, from the list found in the first article of the Creed. Uh, it does, though, I will admit, reflect uh, more fully maybe the large catechism's treatment of the first article. Now, how and why did he do this? Um, a little bit of this is speculation uh, on my part, but I, I do sense that during the 1520s there is a movement in Luther's thought that results in a growing appreciation uh, for the first article of the creed. And I think there are, you can see this in a number of ways. 
not only with regard to this particular uh, uh, petition itself, uh, but the way in which he handles uh, scripture. Um, there was a time when he would have interpreted the uh, threats and promises in the Old Testament primarily in physical terms. You think of the God's threats in terms of um, fire and brimstone or plagues, uh, the flood, the um, um, destruction of Sodom and Gomorrah. Uh, similarly, the promises seem to deal with physical matters in part, namely uh, land flowing with milk and honey. By contrast, he saw the threats and promises in the New Testament as being of a more spiritual character, dealing with heaven or hell. Well, by 1528, that disappears. Um, and you can see this in a number of areas in Luther's thought. So uh, the question is, that comes to mind is why? Um, and I think there may be two answers to that. One is a uh, theological answer, the other is more of a practical answer. Uh, theologically, I suspect, as Luther is working through the ramifications of the gospel, he comes to a greater appreciation of the first article. Because as he had been taught the gospel, that we need to do good works with the assistance of God's grace, the question then arose, well, what makes us different from uh, non-Christians? Well, the answer is Christians do special Christian or spiritual works so that every Tom, Dick, and Harry, in a sense, does the works required by the Ten Commandments. But to um, have a chance with God, one had to go on and do more mm -hmm. uh, spiritual works, whether it's the vows of poverty, chastity, and obedience, or the evangelical councils, they were called, things like that. Well, in light of Luther's discovery of the gospel, um, everyone stands on equal footing before God and on the same basis. Um, you can't think of first-class, second-class Christians uh, or super-Christians and ordinary Christians. Uh, we are all saved by grace on account of faith. Well, that meant that you no longer distinguish between different levels of Christian living. And that allowed Luther to re-embrace both Christian vocation that you'll be talking about later on, as well as to embrace uh, the creaturely as God's good creation, the realm in which God works. The practical reason, I suspect, might be in 1525, I think you know the date better than I do, I think Luther got married. <laughs> and I wonder whether or not um, Katie's home brewing and cooking maybe played a role also mm -hmm. in a growing appreciation for the daily bread of life. Mm-hmm. And from the question of our physical needs, Luther does go on, following our Lord's uh, pattern in the Lord's Prayer, uh, to talk about our spiritual needs as well. And as we've already said, he centered those needs on our need for forgiveness. Yeah, you pick that up, especially in the third article of the Creed, where forgiveness is what the church is all about. Um, there is no place in the world that you can find forgiveness other than in the church, where the Holy Spirit dispenses it. Uh, the fifth petition, I suspect, has always caused people a little bit of confusion or, or angst, in large part because it seems to be conditional. Mm -hmm. uh, forgive us our trespasses, even as we forgive those who uh, trespass against us. And I don't know if it's ever been resolved to everybody's uh, satisfaction, uh, but at least in the large catechism, Luther does not really treat it so much as an if-then clause. Uh, 
In fact, I think one can understand if-then clauses in something that people in my field might call description after the fact. Um, it's the same kind of thing that you have in the close to the commandments, namely uh, God threatens to punish those who transgress these commandments, therefore we should fear his wrath and not act against them. Uh, conversely, God promises grace and every blessing, therefore uh, we should um, uh, love and trust in him and gladly do all that he asks. In other words, uh, it sounds as if even in the close of the commandments, uh, those who receive God's punishment are those who transgress the commandments. Those who receive grace and blessing are those who keep the commandments. It sounds like uh, a conditional statement. But in point of fact, a description after the fact statement works kind of like this. If I were to make this comment that runs like this, if there is ice on the ground outside, then it's 32 degrees Fahrenheit or lower. What does that imply an if-then conditional statement? That the ice causes it to be 32 degrees Fahrenheit or lower? No. Um, instead, it's simply describing the condition after the fact. You have the same thing occurring uh, when Jesus says, if you love me, then you are my disciples. Loving Jesus does not make them his disciples. It's evidence that they are his disciples. Um, ice on the ground does not cause it to be 32 degrees. It's evidence that it is below freezing. Similarly here, uh, forgiving others uh, is not the condition for which God forgives us. Rather, it's the evidence that we ourselves have been forgiven. And, of course, forgiving others is just one of many examples that we have of how hard it is to remain faithful to our Lord. Luther goes on then, following the Lord's Prayer, to talk about those daily struggles with temptations of this and every other kind. Yes, and I think as we move into the sixth and seventh petitions, we move into um, what I think are in some ways the most intriguing and illuminating of Luther's treatments, especially in the uh, large catechism. Uh, first of all, uh, temptations are treated in some ways as attacks. Um, I might even go so far as to say ambushes. Mm -hmm. uh, it's not, Luther here isn't dealing with those kinds of temptations that we can see coming and against which mm -hmm. we have a fighting chance. For example, if I'm in a uh, record store and I'm tempted to steal a CD, and I know it's wrong, knowing it's wrong, I've got, to some extent, a fighting chance against it. There's a struggle going on within me. Uh, here, though, I think he's referring to uh, that God would not only lead us into battle, um, but they would deliver us from evil. It goes a little bit more like this. Uh, here we're dealing with those assaults, ambushes, and battles that in a sense we don't see coming. Those that destroy faith. Um, these are the kind that sneak up on us like sneak attacks. Mm -hmm. And the way I, we might describe them is uh, maybe in the following manner. I suspect that when young people get married they never have the intention of growing apart, mm -hmm. much less uh, getting a divorce. 
but it can happen that over time they become wrapped up in their careers, uh, very busy lives with children, that they don't take time out for one another to talk and cultivate and nourish their marriage. That over time they slowly grow apart until one day they wake up and suddenly realize that they are little more than roommates. Um, their love has gone cold. Now, they never planned for this to happen, and chances are they never saw it coming. It just sort of happened without them realizing it. I think that's what Luther in part is getting at here, particularly with uh, Satan, the flesh, and the world, uh, undermining and destroying our faith. Uh, I also suspect that those Christians who fall from faith, that it's rarely the result of a conscious decision to renounce the faith. I admit those do happen. But I suspect more often than not, it happens as a result of, say, for example, someone moves to a new town. Uh, they get settled with the new doctors, new dentists, grocery store, and also church. Uh, they may attend church for a few weeks. Something comes up, they miss a couple weeks, they attend uh, another week, they miss two months. And before you know it, they're not attending at all. Um, or the same thing may apply with one's prayer life or meditating on God's word. So that little by little, without them even realizing it, there's a, a, a sliding away, a faith growing cold, you might say, to the point where all of a sudden it's not there anymore. Uh, so in this petition we pray, uh, as we enter into battle, um, uh, save us from these that undermine our faith or attack us without us even realizing it's happening. And which then leads immediately into the seventh petition, you know, not only uh, lead us in the battle, not only uh, save us from these, but ultimately, in the end, deliver us from evil, or as Luther will render it, uh, deliver us from the evil one. Uh, so that the seventh petition becomes uh, a capstone and a summary of all the previous petitions before. And here we pray uh, that God preserve us unto death and even across the threshold of death. So, especially as we come to the seventh petition, we're, we're uttering this battle cry that you talked about, uh, the battle cry of the fight against Satan, the world, and our flesh. So that uh, we stand firm in faith. Death is the final threshold where Satan has one last-ditch effort to deprive us of faith and with it salvation. We pray in the midst of temptations against the evil one. In a battle that actually began as the Lord first came to us to claim us as his own in our baptisms. And with Luther, we turn in our next session uh, to talk about God's gift of new life in Christ through baptism. <laughs>